Father, here we are, sitting in your presence. We are here to worship you in truth and by your spirit. Father, we worship you in truth by taking heed to your word. Now we have reached this point of the service where we, the people of God, open up the word of God to hear from the word of God by the spirit of God, empowering me both to preach and both the hearers to hear what it is that the Lord is saying to his people by his spirit. Holy Spirit, I am nothing but a man, but you live and reside on the inside of me. I pray now that you would just fall and come upon me and, and empower me to be your spokesperson as we walk through the book of Romans chapter 8 and Lord you know everyone that is sitting in the room you know every ailment you know every circumstance you know every thought you know every question that they have in their minds right now resting on their hearts that they have as it relates to the things of God I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grant me those words that I would utter them, not in my own strength, but as you would move upon me and bring them to my mind, that I would say them in great humility and empowered by your spirit so that your people would hear from the triune God. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Well, we got a lot of work to get into today. And so stand with me as we start out and think I got um, Romans chapter seven. And we're not going to preach all through Romans chapter eight. I'm going to preach actually the verse two today. But anyhow, I just want to read all the way up to verse 11 because there's a lot of meat in Romans chapter Eight and verse chapter seven. So let us read CSB translation. Here we go. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the spirit have their mindset on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot, they cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you, the Holy Spirit ministries. This is the word of God. You may be seated. We are calling this sermon series God's message to the whole world. Why? Some would ask. Pastor Hardy, why are you calling this sermon series God's message to the whole world? Because the word of God tells us that every human born of a woman, which Pastor Chad read from Psalms 51, actually Sister Karen did, is indeed was born guilty. Born guilty in their sins and trespasses. And David says, sinful when my mother conceived me. All humans were born sinful. Proclivity, lots of babies in the room, though we baptize the babies and trusted them to the Lord that they too would become born again. But all humans are born sinful. So therefore, all humans have what we call a corrupt sinful nature in our inner being that Martin Luther, the great reformer, Protestant reformer says it runs contrary to God in, not in some areas of life. But Martin Luther says in every area of life, this proclivity, this heart that is bent on doing everything it can in contrary to God's word and God's law. We're born with that. You don't teach that. That's what's in us. That's why we're calling this message to God that's given to us, to the whole world. So therefore, the whole human race has been infected with something that is more deadly than any COVID-19 corona disease or virus known to mankind. What is that disease? We're in God's message to the whole world. He tells us that there is no remedy, that there is no solution, that there is no cure. Doesn't matter how hard Fauci and all the rest of the greatest scientists in the world, they cannot find a cure for this disease. I can tell you that. There is no cure, no solution that can be found in any government or political party 
There is no college, university, or higher learning, whether it be in Greek or Roman philosophy. There is no solution that will be found in the Communist Party ideology, Antifa ideology, Black Lives Matter ideology, KKK ideology, conservative ideology, or any human ideology. There is no solution for this disease that we as humans all have. And the book of Romans tells us that the cure and the hope for this infectious disease, this infectious virus and sin that Adam, the first human being, infected the whole human race with, is only found. The cure, this cure is only found. Let me say it again for Facebook Live. This cure is only found, the cure that Portland needs, the cure that Seattle, Washington needs, the cure that the whole world needs in Beirut. This cure is only found in the message called the gospel. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You can search the whole world for this cure. It would not be found at Alabama University or Auburn or Troy Trojans. Or LSU Tigers. Some of y'all know that's an inside joke. Definitely won't be found at LSU Tigers. For sure. Right, Brother Noah? <laughs> but in this message to the Romans, Apostle Paul, in chapter 7, Last week, he concluded that, that there is a great civil war happening at all times with those who desire to obey God by trying to keep his law. Apostle Paul spells out this fight in verse 7, 22 to 25. Let's put it back up, uh, Brother Carl, chapter 7 of Romans. Paul spells out this fight for in my inner self, my inner man. I delight in God's law. I want to keep it. But I see a different law in the parts of my body that is waging war. So there's a civil war in every human being, but not in every human being, but in those who have come to believe and put our faith in Jesus. For those who have not done that, there is no civil war. They are just living according to the flesh. But for those who, are, who desire to keep God's law, to follow God, to walk humbly before him. Paul says, I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. And it takes me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And then Paul comes to a place, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. So Paul spells out this war is between the old man, the flesh that Chad spoke about from first Peter. That proclivity of our human nature that seeks to do everything that is contrary to God. 
It's called the old man. It's called the flesh. It's called the law of sin. Paul calls it here. It fights against the inner man in us that delights in the law of God. We want to serve God. We try to keep God's word. But then we find ourselves what we trying to do good. As Paul said last week, we find ourselves doing evil. Like a back and forth. And so Bible scholars, Bible theologians, and Bible readers, we call this ongoing fight for the believer, the doctrine of sanctification. And this is my first slide to answer what is sanctification? First slide. Westminster, Shorter Catechism, where we get this answered in question catechism to teach the children, to teach adults, to teach those who are coming into the church, the basic tenets of the faith. What is sanctification? God wants you to be sanctified means to be holy, to be like him. That's what you and I were made to be before sin came into the world. We were created in his image and in his likeness. But then sin came and now we've been marred. We've been shaped by iniquity. We're born into Egypt. We're born with these sinful proclivities that go against God. We love idols. We love worshiping idols. We love worshiping things that don't have no eternal significance. We love worshiping money, though we can't take it with us. Listen to me. No one is taking any money with them. Steve Jobs was a billionaire. No money went in the grave. No dollar bills, no Benjamin Franklin's, no Thomas Jefferson's. None of that went into the grave. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout in the image of God. That's what we were made for. Made in God's image and in God's likeness. And we are enabled more and more to die to sin. And to live to righteousness. That's my brothers and sisters is sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. But into our Romans chapter 8 today. And scholars and Bible theologians call Romans chapter 8. Brother Michael Bowen texts me after that. He said, I can't wait to chapter 8. It is called one of the greatest chapters in the Bible because this chapter sets forth the gospel and the plan of salvation, the life of freedom and victory, the hopelessness of the natural man and the righteousness of the born again, the indwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body and the blessed hope of Christ's return the working together of all things for our good. So when things go bad, how is it that what is God is doing, even in spite of something that is bad to us, but behind the greatness of that, God is still working out it for all for good for those who have been called to him. In every tense of the Christian life, whether it be the past, the present and the future, And the glorious climactic song of triumph. There is no separation in time or eternity 
from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Romans chapter eight, man, it is filled up with meat. There are no bones <laughs> in Romans chapter eight. There are no bones in none of the word of God. But this is where the, if you want to have a five star restaurant, Romans chapter eight is five star all by itself. It's not even a five star, it's a 10 star. It's filled up with meat and substance and gravitas, something you can, you can sink your bite in. But Romans 7, 24 says, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, where we left off last week. Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? And basically, this is the cry and the desperation of every human, of every true believer's heart. Who will set me free from this, this, this wretchedness that we have who desire to live for God? Who will set us free? Who will get us out of this hole that we're in? Paul says. When in chapter eight, there is a word that shows up 20 times. And overall, 11 times in our 11 verses today, one through 11 in Romans eight, there is a word that shows up 20 times in this chapter. The word is spirit. The Greek word is punuma. And Paul, up until this point in Romans chapter 8, he had only mentioned of this word two times, spirit. But now it is the driving point that he ascribes to here in chapter 8 of Romans. Because Paul knows that it is the only answer to the cry of our heart found in chapter 7. This wretchedness that we are, who will set us free from this? And so Paul here in Romans chapter eight, he's driving home this point of this one word, the Holy Spirit. So it comes to us that it's important for us to understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit overall and his, his role in our sanctification, we need to understand what it is that what we talk about when we say the Holy Spirit. I am convinced that most Christians have no idea or professing Christians, should I say, have no idea what the Holy Spirit is in their lives. The word of God says that you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve there should catch you because in order to grieve something, it has to be real. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. And so this next slide would explain how the Holy Spirit fits in all of this. So here it is. So here again, back to the catechism to explain the Holy Spirit to us. So the catechism wants us to understand. So he says, what is God? So you want to ask a little kid, what is God? And here it is. 
God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Can't change God. God doesn't change with the culture. I know the culture is changing and it will continue to change, but God will never change. He's unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, his power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay, people say, well, how many gods are there? Are there more gods than one? Great question to ask. What's the answer to that? Here it is. There's but only one only the living and true God. That's one God. Here it is. But how many persons are there in the Godhead? How many persons are there in the Godhead? Trinity. Here it is. There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father who sends the Son. The Son and the Holy Ghost. Some would say the Holy Spirit. The King James folks was like the Holy Ghost. The Baptist folks, the Holy Ghost. I use the Holy Spirit a lot more these days. Same thing. The Holy Ghost. And these three here, this is key. And these three are one. One God. The same in substance. Equal in power and glory. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is how the Bible describes to us God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now in our text, Paul has been building up. In Romans 8. And this is where the essence of the gospel is realized. And Paul starts out by saying, Carl, you can put up chapter 8 of Romans again. And Paul starts out by saying, therefore, stop there. Therefore, is responding back to everything that Paul has said up to this point. Therefore, he's about to go into everything that he's been talking about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Therefore, there's no more guilt. There's no, for there's no more shame. Therefore, there's no more, uh, you don't have to worry about whether sin is going to uh, separate you from God or from Jesus. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Paul says, up to this point, I've given you seven chapters of explaining the work of God in the world and redeeming humans to himself. And this is vitally important because Christians skip a lot of the things that we need to understand. But Paul says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what about those who are not in Christ Jesus? Then they are condemned. If they die in that state, God's wrath abides on them. And this is a serious matter. This is why God calls us to go out and to tell the whole world that God's wrath is coming and it already is. 
It's abiding. That's why we witness. That's why we speak of Jesus to our neighbors and even to our enemies. Therefore, and Paul explains in the first chapter of Romans to the Greek and to the Jew, the gospel is for all, to the whole world. No one is left out. No one is left out. That the gospel is to the whole world, to the rich, to the poor, and those in between. The gospel is. And Paul goes a little on. He says, we're all sinful. None of us have it upright with God. We're all sinful. We all have fallen short of his glory. We've come short of his standard of the law. We've not kept the law. If you failed in one part of the law, you failed it all. So if you told one lie, you failed the whole law. Just one lie. And we all know just whether we stole a cookie at the cookie jar, you've told a lie. Or you've stolen something that was not yours, even if it was an ink pen, even if it was by accident. And I've stolen a lot of ink pens in the day. I used to be a FedEx driver, so people would have to sign. And I don't know how many times I would come up with nice ink pens, $100 ink pens. Sometimes I would bring them back, sometimes I didn't. <laughs> I just, you know, oh, they need a pen, I sign and I run out the door. Never brought the pen back. And Paul says to us, we're all sinful. He names all the sins. No one seeks for God. We see that in Romans chapter 3. No one seeks after him. No, not no one. No one is righteous. And Paul is explaining all of this. And then he gets to chapter five, says that in Jesus, in Christ, in what he's done, we have peace with God because of his death and his atoning sacrifice. That he was who was righteous, took on the wrath of God that was coming for us. And now Paul gets to the point, he says, therefore, because of all of this and what God has done, therefore, there's now no more condemnation. There's no more threat from the penalty of sin or ever being separated from God. This is a forensic word, condemnation. Paul says, there's no more threat to you if you're in Christ Jesus. There's no more condemnation. But we know throughout the whole week, the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, walks around trying to do what? Trying to always accuse you of what? Condemnation. That you, God doesn't love you. That you're not good enough. That the, God hates you. No, but if you believe the first seven chapters of Paul is trying to say, you believe that you were not righteous by your own degrees, by your own initiation, that you had nothing to offer to God, but you believe the message of the cross. Paul says to you and I, therefore, there's no more condemnation. Let that sink in. No more guilt. No more shame. Past, present, and future. The enemy can't threaten you that you will be separated from God when you die. Paul says there is no condemnation. There is no more guilt. Why? Why there is no more condemnation? 
And here's the first time or the third time in all of these eight chapters, Romans, the word spirit comes to life. He says there is no condemnation. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life, the word there, life is Zoe. In Christ Jesus have set you free from the law of sin and death. Because the law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, Paul is talking about, in Christ Jesus has set you and I free. What Paul was referring to, that law of sin that's always telling us that we were not right, that we didn't measure up to God. But Paul says now the Holy Spirit comes. What you and I couldn't do before, we are now able to do because the spirit of Christ, the living God, now takes up residence in you. Where before you couldn't stop lying, you couldn't tell the truth, you couldn't stop lusting. But now Paul says, the spirit of life, life, Zoe. God leads us out of the out of Egypt where there's death and decay into the promised land where there is life and life more abundantly. Paul says the spirit of life, it liberates us. It sets us free. And whom the Son sets free, not religion, whom Jesus sets free, whom the God of the universe sets free, whom God puts his hands on sets free. You are free indeed. Because you were made by God, created by God. You were fashioned by God. And now Paul says, there's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. You're secure. If you believe this gospel, if you put your whole heart into it, you don't work for it, you believe it. You read it. Now here's the issue. See, And this is what I try to tell people. There is a what we call a um, a fake grace or a f easy believism where people just believe something they don't understand or don't know. And this is why Paul says, therefore, how can you understand what it is that you believe if you don't know the therefore? You don't know what he's done. You don't know who Jesus is. You don't know why he came. You don't understand the Christmas story. You don't understand the Easter story. You don't understand. But you say you believe. Believe in what? What do you believe in if you don't even know what the therefore is? Our article went out today. Gospel Coalition. Joe Carter, my friend, said that 65% of professing Christians do not believe the gospel. This is why what we're seeing, what we're seeing in the church, where people can't forgive, because if you understand that therefore, that you and I were sinners, but God who was rich in mercy, who had mercy on us while we were yet sinners, he could allow us to go to hell when we were partying at Auburn, HBCUs, and everywhere else, but God stepped in and he didn't let you die. He didn't let you fall into a pit of the abyss outside of him. But he could have, but he didn't. He saved you and I. He forgave you while you were yet sinning, while you were hostile towards him, while you cursed him, while we threw a finger up to him. God loved us. And now, 
Look at the Christians to now how they look at each other. They either don't understand the grace that has been given to them. Or they just. A tear professing to be a sheep or a wheat. See the one or the other. If you just look at your life and you see that therefore the struggle to live for God and now here we are just trying to figure out what is it that we're doing. That's why Joe Carter says according to the research that 65% of Christians in America profess they don't even believe in the gospel. They have no clue of what the therefore is, the first seven chapters of Romans, which spells out the essence of what's wrong with the human race. We're all born in sin, as David says. We're born into it. But Paul says that the spirit of life has set you and I free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And now we are able to do what we couldn't do in chapter seven because of God. spirit of life is in you. No, that's the point. See, oh, wretched man that I am in your own strength. No, you're going to lust in your own strength. You're going to fail every single time. Someone hits you on the right side. You know, you ain't going to no, you ain't going to give him a chance. You're on the left side. Now you're going to be ready to fight. You're not going to show no kindness. You're not going to show no mercy. Imagine if God was like that. As many times folks have spit on God's name. Imagine if God was quick tempered like some of us. Oh, I'm mad. Let me go. Let me go, angels. Let me go. Let me go. Take your hands off me, Gabriel. I'm coming to get them. Imagine if God was like that. Let me go. I'm going to get them. <laughs> Just imagine if the father was like us. Adam messed, oh no, I'm coming to get him. Oh, he's trying to hide behind a fig leaf? Oh, let me get him. <laughs> Could you imagine if God was like us? But the Spirit comes in us, Paul says, and it sets us free from the law that we could not perform. But now in Christ, for there is no no condemnation, you're free. Christ fulfilled the law. You're free from all what the law said you couldn't do, from all the failures that we couldn't keep. Because now the law, the spirit of life, Zoe is a Greek word there, is in you through Christ Jesus. It has set you free from the law of sin and death, which Paul says in Romans chapter 7. I see this other law of sin working in my members. When I wanted to do good, evil's always there, but I couldn't keep it. And now Paul gets to Romans 8. He says, well, here's the third person of the Trinity. What's his role in this? God wants us sanctify. God never left it up to you and I to make ourselves like himself. God says, I'm going to send myself inside of you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you through the power of Christ. And now the Holy Spirit helps you become more like God. Not you trying to do more like God. The Holy Spirit. This is why, how do you start to listen to the Holy Spirit when he's instructing you? 
when he's guiding you. This is why we meet together as the church so we can encourage each other and we fan the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's why breathing and we're singing. Holy Spirit, none of us, all more of you. Fill us with your love. Your glory, not me. Your glory, not me. Your glory is what we want. Holy Spirit, you. Imagine people who are not in church, who are not even in fellowship, who are not even sitting around the word, who are not even doing Bible studies and prayer. How are they able to do this? They can't. They can't do it in their own strength. They can't do it without the community of faith encouraging one another. Spurning each other on. Come on, Brother Hardy. When we're weak and we feeble and we come and we pray for each other. How many times Christians have prayed for me? Brother Hardy, don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Stay with the vision. Stay with the calling. Now look today. What if I would have quit three years ago? None of this would be. And how did I get this far? Through God's community. So we are able to do what we couldn't do in chapter seven because now the spirit of life is on the inside of us, empowering us to do what we couldn't do. And then Paul says, verse four, verse three, he says, what, now go back to verse three, what the law could not do, the law, the law could only fall out our sins. It was weakened by the flesh. God did. You heard me say this all over and over again. The quirk, the gospel is not the work of us. It's not your how-tos. It is the work of God. God did. Not Alton did. Not Sandy did. Not Noah did. God did. Not you. God did. Not some slick, really preacher. God did. Not you. Not us. God did. God did it. God, God did he condemned sin. Not you. You didn't condemn sin. God condemned sin in the flesh. By doing what? By sending. God did. God so loved the world that he sent. God did. Not us. Gospel is God always is the one who's orchestrating and always the originator. It is God. The gospel is about God. It's not about how much money you get, what car you drive, what house you live in. That's about you. The gospel is about God. This is not your home. It doesn't matter if you live in Sardis or whether you live in Mount Brook. It's about God. It's not about clothing and what we wear and what we do. It's about what God is doing in you for the hope of glory. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As a sin offering. That's why it was important that he come as a human being. Because sin was in the flesh. He was not sinful. He was a spotless lamb of God. But he came as a human. And the likeness of that's what it means as a human, sinful flesh. Because we are in the flesh. We're humans. We have physical bodies. And Jesus came to offer his life as a sin offering. 
And then verse four says, in order for the law, requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I end here. What you're going to see. Now the work of the Holy Spirit. And applying. All of what Paul has spelled out in the first seven chapters. And applying it to our hearts. You know what the Holy Spirit does all day long to you? If you're a real bona fide Christian. And I end here. Let me I want the Lord told me to say this. Some of you say, how do you know if you're a real Christian? This is going to come out in the chapter. If you have any inclination that you are sinning and you're trying to fight it, brothers and sisters, you're under God's regenerating power. If you have no desire to serve God, there is no remorse of sin. You are not of his, not as of yet. That's what Paul is trying to say. The, ma- the mind that is hostile, that is carnal, he doesn't even care about God. He doesn't care who he hurts or who he shoots. He's not of God. He doesn't care who he sleeps with. He doesn't care. He doesn't have remorse. He, only, he can't be remorseful. He doesn't know how. He's a sinner. He doesn't have God in him. He's not of Christ. We're trying to put Christ in people who don't want Christ. They haven't come to that point yet. That's why we bring the gospel to them. But if you've got a desire and you feel, I want to obey God, the Spirit of God is in you. That's how you know. He comes and he tells you, look, you're free. I've done everything you need to do. Walk with me. Talk with me. Get into a small group. The Holy Spirit. I've never seen Christians grow outside of biblical community. That's why you need community. You don't grow in osmosis. You grow in community. God called the church. That's why it's called the local church. You grow in church. You need elders. You need deacons. You need pastors. We encourage one another. We spur each other on. I've never seen a strong Christian that's without community. But I keep seeing people try to live their Christian life outside of what God has told us how to do it. So the Holy Spirit is trying to say, he, the Holy Spirit will always tell you to go to church. <laughs> he said, five o'clock is coming. Prepare for it. Here's what the devil does. Get sleepy. Play video games. Start arguing with your wife so you don't get mad so you don't have to come. <laughs> Go eat some food. Go eat a lot of pork so you get sleepy. (laughs) He will always try to talk you out of coming to church. And then as soon as 6.30 comes and gone, and then so now you're wide awake. Hey, hey, how you doing, (laughs) Pierre? The Holy Spirit says, go call, call Brother Dion. Be in community. So as we get into Romans chapter 8, brothers, as I try to lean on God on what portions to bring out, there is so much here in Romans 8. And so, but my heart today is there's no condemnation.
You're a Christian. Past, present, and future. Shake it off. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, no more guilt. God has done everything for you to be in the right standing with the Father. If you sin, just Lord, forgive me. But there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit is in you, empowering you to do what you couldn't do in Romans chapter 7. And he's talking. That's why he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I know when I'm sinning because I feel bad. You know, I know God's spirit. He's grieving. He says, Alton, you know better than that. And I'll, you catch me talking to myself. I'm not talking to myself. Long time. I'm just, God, I'm sorry. And depending on what it is, I don't want nobody to hear. God, forgive me for thinking like that. Forgive me for not, you know, not want to hit that guy upside his head, but I should have, you know, back and forth. I'm a pastor. Shouldn't be thinking about hitting folks upside their head. And I tell you this, though, and I end. Man, I don't, it's something in the social, it's a social media demon. I see stuff on Facebook saying, I get so mad. I get so mad, man. Next, I've typed up a whole treatise. I'm like, I'm ready to go in. And I have to erase it. Because I'm so angry somebody then said something. And the Lord said, what are you doing? And I just be saying, sometimes, be, see, sanctification doesn't mean you're finished. Meaning you're being cooked. <laughs> you're being fried in a pan. <laughs> you're not there yet. And the Lord says, That's not what you're trying to, I'll be saying, Lord, why don't you just get them? Like, I'm being honest with you, faithful. I see them folks in Seattle, Lord, get them. Then I said, no, Father, pray for the enemies. <laughs> and Lord, so we lift up our enemies. I have to do that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, even the fact, the Lord, that you know that we're not finished work, that we're in the process of being renewed after you in your image day by day we know that it's a work of progress but Lord there was a time where we didn't even have the strength to say no to sin we was powerless we couldn't defeat it we couldn't say anything against it it defeated us it beat us down it held us in a headlock but Father we thank you today that now we know and we come to understand that there is no more condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. That we are not condemned by the penalty of sin. That we're not condemned by the things that we have done and said. But in Christ Jesus, we have been made free. And that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, lives and abides in us. And in us, he has given us that freedom that we have so longed for, that we cried out for in Romans chapter 7, where we tried to stop sinning. We tried in our college life. We couldn't do it. But now we've come to understand that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can now say no. And we've been given the power to tread upon the flesh and to walk not after the flesh anymore. And when the flesh tries to say, do this and do that, we can say now, no, that's not me. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I have been adopted into the fatherhood of God. And now we can live for you 
Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And as we sung earlier, God, more of you, less of us. Your glory, your life, your power, your grace. That's what we want. Your glory in our lives. That's what we want, Father. We pray, Lord, as we walk through Romans 8, that this would be an outpouring of your spirit upon us, that you would set us aflame, the fire of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, that we would be the children that you wanted us to be before there was ever sin. Bearing forth your image and your likeness. This is my prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's be dismissed. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you this day. And he grant you his peace and his righteousness. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Should I turn this off?